This podcast is brought to you by Workle, a platform helping people get happier at work. Find out more at workle.co. Work happier. I can help people see the best in themselves. Work doesn't have to be linear. Try lots of things. I still do like managing people and trying to get the best out of people. I can help people see the best in themselves and see how unique they are and really leverage that uniqueness. Welcome to the Happy Work Life podcast, where people with inspiring careers reflect on how happy they have been in their working lives. On this podcast, we hear from a range of people working in business, startups, science, academia, media, healthcare, fashion, and much more, and find out which roles gave them the most satisfaction and importantly, what they have done to get happier at work. So sit down with me, Mark Price, founder of Workle, to help you get happier at work. Workle is the platform where you can find a job in the happiest companies, take our happiness test, network, and get career support from experts and much, much more. On this edition of the Happy Work Life podcast, I'm delighted to be joined by Jenny Garrett, OBE. Jenny is an award-winning career coach. She's a leadership trainer. She's a speaker. And as well as that, she set up the social enterprise, Rocking Your Teens. Jenny, thank you very much indeed for joining us on this podcast. What I always like to do is to start by talking to people about their early years and to what extent they shape their career choices. So in your case, being a, a life coach and a leadership trainer and writing and setting up a social enterprise. So tell us a little about your, your childhood and growing up and how you think those things might have shaped your career choices. Yeah, so started off from very humble beginnings. Um, yes, uh, I, I lived in social housing um, with my mum, who was a single parent. Um, she worked very, very hard and uh, she was a secretary um, in my early years, um, but then went on to become a teacher in her late 30s. Uh, mid to late 30s she was offered a course an access course um, in which she could then uh, go on to do a teaching degree so I I think that I always knew that money was hard to come by Uh, I think that was the message I had when I was quite young Um, and my first job at 14 was in a sweet shop at the bottom of our road and I did that on a Sunday morning for many years Um, it was really handy I remember getting my money in a little brown envelope (laughs) uh, telling me how many hours I worked and how much I earned and taking taking that money and buying the things I needed Um, uh, and uh, it was always about perhaps buying things from a catalogue so I could pay it bit by bit um, uh, over a long period of time and invest in the little things that I wanted. So I I think that um, my early years taught me that uh, to be independent, really, that I needed to work hard and earn my own money um, and that I could get the things I wanted, um, but maybe not instantly. Um, So so that was sort of working part time um, and having part time jobs while studying while at school. And then as I as I moved on, my I wanted when I finished school, I did my 
O-levels as they were at that time, then did my A-levels. Um, and I wanted to go to art school, actually. So nothing to do with coaching at all. I saw myself as a an artist or fashion designer, uh, that sort of thing. Um, and uh, But I couldn't get a grant. Uh, and I needed to uh, have a grant in order to be able to survive and study. So I went into the world of work and um, actually started off in retail. Um, so I was a shop assistant and then became a team leader and then a store manager. But I didn't think that was for me. I was, you know, when you're on a bit of a trajectory in a career and I thought, I think I can do something else. I don't see myself becoming a regional manager, an area manager and um, in retail. I, I didn't think that was my passion. Um, and, and, and just Jenny on that, just tell us, because there'll be people out there who are either working in retail or think about working in retail. What did you like and what were you less keen on for in that retail world that decided you to move away from it? Yes, I think because they had a little bit of an artistic flair, I quite liked the sort of merchandising bit, although there were there were merchandisers in place to do that sort of thing. Um, I, quite, I, I still do like managing people and trying to get the best out of people. Um, I like I like that as well. Um, I guess I don't particularly like difficult customers, <laughs> but I don't think anyone does. Um, so I, I probably didn't love that aspect of it. But I, I think um, being the oldest child, I do have a younger brother. I've always been quite a responsible person. So I quite liked, you know, being being the manager and being responsible for opening up and closing up and making sure all of the, the you know, the till adds up and all of that sort of thing. So there were, yeah, there were pluses and minuses. I think um, if we're thinking about minuses, sometimes you're working when no one else is. So bank holidays, um, weekends, um, that sort of thing, um, or even evenings, depending on what sort of store you work in. So that can that can be a bit of a challenge. But um, I think there's there's a lot there that's good. And um, if you like working in a team. I think that retail is really good because you're working with other people, you have conversations, you have lunch probably with, with, with them. They might become your social circle outside of work a little bit as well. And also if you love customers, if you like helping people and talking to people, then retail can be really great as well. Okay, that's really helpful. And so you decided that retail wasn't for you. Mm. What was your next step? Yeah, so I thought I, I would like an office, some sort of office job. Um, uh, and um, so I went into admin roles. Um, I had a quite a few different admin roles. Um, uh, so it, it was, uh, I worked for an organization that did test and measurement of uh, equipment. Uh, I worked for uh, an organization called Schroeder Leasing, and it was about ensuring the leasing of equipment um, was all the documentation was correct. Um, and, um, and I really quite enjoyed those roles, actually. Um, I enjoyed uh, trying to be, make sure things were accurate and, uh, and correct and helping people and answering queries on the phone. Um, it, it would be really interesting to anyone listening, but actually it was at that point that computers were, were sort of coming in. Um, and so learning, I, re I recall learning to use a mouse for the first time and, <laughs> and, the, and not being able to control a mouse and that sort of thing. Um, so yeah, I, we just started 
inputting information onto computers and learning about them instead of doing everything but in paperwork and files and um, all of that sort of thing. So I, I enjoyed that process. Um, but as I was working in these sort of administrative roles, which, as I said, I really did enjoy them, I had the yearning to uh, revisit studying um, uh, because I wasn't able to go to art school, but I still did want to do an art degree. Um, and so I, I went to my uh, local university, which was the University of Westminster, because they had a campus in Harrow, which was where I was living. Um, and they said, oh, yes, you can do degrees part time. You can do them in the evening. Um, you just have to do a certain number of modules to get your degree. And I thought, oh, this is amazing. So I worked full time and in the evenings and um, three evenings a week, I went to university um, and it did take me five years to get that degree. So it wasn't it's not an easy route, um, but and it meant that I didn't see anyone really during um, term time. I sort of caught up with my friends in the holidays because I was so busy getting my studies done. So I started off um, doing a degree that was art design and communication. Um, but actually what happened was someone from St. Martin's Art School, the art school that I really wanted to go to initially, came in to visit us and I, I was so excited. But he said to me, do you have a life, darling? I remember it really clearly, this conversation. And I said, well, I do have a life because I work full time and I'm doing this degree in the evenings. And, and he said, well, you know, if you want to be an artist, you have to devote yourself to art. You can't be working full time and doing this on the side. And it was a bit of a turning point for me. I was working in a business um, and I enjoyed working full time. Uh, and I thought, I, I'm not sure where this art is taking me. I enjoy it, but I'm not sure where it's taking me in terms of a career. So I actually switched my, switched my degree after the first year to a business degree. And I majored in marketing because I was really enjoying the marketing aspects of, of the business world. Um, and, and so it was it was really interesting that that's the direction that I ended up going in. Um, and then I secured marketing roles. Um, so I had a marketing role in an international estate agency, which I really loved. And my last role before going into coaching was in a business school. And so I had a very senior marketing role in one of the leading international business schools um, and thought that was the work I was meant to do. Really, really loved it. Um, and in terms of what a marketing role encompassed, it was things like um, making sure that our programs were listed well on the website, thinking about how to promote and advertise our programs. So that might have been at conferences, for example, um, having stands at events, um, uh, mail shots, email shots, um, thinking about how you can help the sales team um, with the messages about programs if they're calling people, brochures, designing brochures, banner stands, all of that sort of thing. It was lots of fun. I really enjoyed it. Um, and uh, the previous role I had in marketing was uh, was very social as well. So we'd be smoothed by all the advertisers, go out for drinks and all of that sort of thing. So um, I, I really enjoyed marketing. I enjoyed coming up with ideas for campaigns um, that could promote pro programs and services. Uh, but while I was in that role at, um, at my in my last place, the business school, um, there a colleague who's now a really good friend came into my office one day and just said, where next with your career? And I remember thinking, oh, I'm 
doing a good job here. I really enjoy it. And she said, you could do more. Perhaps you could take on a bigger marketing team in another organization. Or she said, perhaps you might want to train people in marketing uh, because it is a business school. You know, we train and develop people here. Neither of those things appealed to me at the time. Uh, I didn't want to move location because my daughter was quite young at the time and I wanted to be reasonably close to her. Uh, I didn't see myself training people. I wasn't a confident public speaker at the time, so I didn't see myself doing that. And then she said, what about coaching? She said, people come into your office, they come away motivated and with action. Um, And I think you've got a natural propensity for coaching people. Um, And the organisation I was with, this business school, um, were willing to support me to attend a coaching programme. Um, so I've never been one to say no to development. So I thought, yeah, OK, I'll, I'll attend a coaching program. I found it personally and professionally transformational. It just made me look at myself, you know, very differently, look at the world very differently. And I saw the power of coaching questions to really help people unlock their potential and realize their dreams and thought this is the work I want to do for for the third time <laughs> um and uh, and I've, I've kind of stuck with that for the last nearly 20 years um and and really love the work of coaching so my business is what happened was I started coaching a little bit um uh in the business school that I was in but it was never going to be a full-time role there um so I had to take the leap to start my own business um and it, t- it took about a year of me building up the courage and developing um, developing my skills um, and developing my network. Um, and I took that leap to become self-employed, first of all, just providing coaching on leadership programs and then starting to, I, I did some further study part-time, completed a master's in management, learning and leadership, and then started to develop my own leadership programs and training. Uh, and that's that's where where my career has gone. So for, for those who are not familiar with what a coach does, um, just talk to us a little about two things if you can. What what does a normal day or week look like for you? And secondly, when you do coach somebody, what do you do? Mm, a brilliant question. I think I don't have a typical day. They just vary so much. But um, it will be having some sort of team meeting with my team, um, supporting people who are delivering our programs, because I don't do as much of the training now. Um, and if, it, if there's coaching involved, it's usually a one to two hour conversation with someone to help them achieve their goals. And so what we do is we um, try to understand what they want to achieve. And then I I ask them questions that help them think through really what they want to achieve, how they might want to achieve it, and I help hold them to account. The questions are there to unlock the solutions that are already within them. So it's not about training or teaching. It's much more about helping people take new perspectives on their challenges and find ways to find the solutions which are already there, but maybe in small ways. I help to amplify those solutions, help them see the solutions and help them take action on whatever might be holding them back. And, and do you do that one-on-one? Do you do it for groups of people? Because I know that you you um, support and train on leadership as well. So is, is yours a one-to-one relationship or, or do you do groups as well? 
So both. So sometimes it's one to one with individuals, but uh, uh, and other times it's absolutely programs that we run with organizations. And we, we do a lot of that. So it wouldn't be me on my own. I have a team um, and we work with organizations over sometimes eight month periods to uh, be able to help them help people break through the glass ceiling in their organization or help people become great allies or help leaders to develop their communication and maximize the potential of their teams. So it's quite varied, the work that we do. Um, I also created the first directory of coaches from ethnically diverse backgrounds about two years ago. So we do a lot of work to promote um, coaches going into organizations who are from diverse backgrounds, because one of the things I found was that um, actually pool uh, coaching pools within or organizations weren't very diverse, which meant that people didn't have a choice, uh, as much of a choice of coach as they could. And you've done lots of work around empowering women and um, and on inclusion. So would you say that's an area of specialism for you or do you, you coach broadly? Absolutely. I, I would say my specialism is um, working with women and helping women realize their potential working women. And my first book was called Rocking Your Role, which is a guide to success for female breadwinners. So I, I've done a lot to support women who are navigating work and life as the main earner, um, but just generally. So that is really important for me. I'm passionate about that, but I'm also passionate about supporting people from ethnically diverse backgrounds and leaders more broadly. And I was going to ask you about your book, uh, Rocking Your Role. Um, so tell us, tell us what inspired you to, to write that and the process of writing and what you hope people get from it when they read it. Yes, I think that I'm a person who finds my own challenge and then starts to research a solution to my challenge and then realises everyone's got the same, well, not everyone, but lots of people have a similar challenge to myself and then think, OK, if that's the case, what can I do about it? And that's the case with being a, a female uh, breadwinner. It was something that I found people weren't talking about. Uh, it was something that I actually realised that I was coming up with solutions solutions and insights and ideas around um, and I thought if I'm going to uh, try to support myself in this then let me just support lots of other women. Um, I did some research and I, I put some sort of questionnaires out into the world around it and one woman came back and she said I was the main earner for three years and those were dark days in my life. And I thought, no woman should feel like that. We should feel proud. We should feel supported. We should be able to navigate our careers and our lives as the main earner. Um, so that was real motivation for me to write the book. And you've, you've done coaching now all over the world. Um, you work with huge clients, um, big banks and uh, Ernst & Young and the NHS and oh, so many, so many big organisations. Um, and you must be so busy, and yet you set up um, rocking your teams uh, as a social enterprise. So, um, I mean, everybody would love to know how you find the time to do that, but also <laughs> what, what you wanted to achieve in setting that up. Yes, I think they say, don't they, if you need something done, ask a busy person. Um, and so I, I think that's what happens. But again, that was born from a challenge in my life, rocking your teens. So my daughter at sort of the age of 11, um, sort of 
yeah, social media was very influenced by social media, um, uh, all of those messages which were impacting her confidence um, and also just not realising her potential and someone who'd done really well until that point. Uh, I was so surprised because, you know, she had me behind her and her dad and, a, you know, a strong support network. So it really shocked me when uh, I saw that the impact of, of social media and other things on her. Uh, again, uh, I, I did some research and at the time, they, and, and it may still be the case really, uh, there's a bit of an, uh, an epidemic of, for young women of um, uh, challenges with self-esteem. Um, and I thought, what am I going to do about this? If I'm going to try and help my daughter, maybe I should try and help girls more broadly. Um, and also one thing we know about sort of teenagers um, uh, uh, or, or tweenagers is that they don't really listen to their parents at that point. It's sort of your old, what do you know about anything? Um, so I thought I could get some other voices in front of her and others. Um, uh, and so what I did was I decided to um, really just set up a one-off event for girls to empower them uh, so they could grow up to be uh, women who empowered others. Um, but um, when I spoke to um, other people who I wanted to uh, go help me with this, they said, what about boys too, actually? Um, boys um, uh, will have challenges, a lot of challenges. And when we talk about um, uh, suicide, there's a higher rate of suicide in young men. Um, they're trying to find their way in the world. There's a lot of toxic masculinity happening for men as well, for young boys, and a lot of influences. So actually, if we're going to do something for girls, let's do something for boys. And, um, and Rocking Your Teens was born to empower young women and to help young men make good choices and help them both really think about how they can uh, increase their aspirations um, and go into the world and, and lead themselves to success. And we, yes, we've been going eight years now, had uh, over two and a half thousand young people and their teachers from all over the country involved in our events. Um, and we hope to keep inspired, inspire them. And we actually have a partnership now with Kurt Geiger Foundation. We've been supported by Dr. Martins as well and um, Nat West. Um, and we're always looking for sponsors and supporters to help us um, reach more young people. But it's one of the things my daughter says she's most proud of about me. She says, you created Rocking Your Teens just for me. Um, and, and she's really happy that we continue. Well, I think she should be proud and you should be proud too. It's, a, it's an amazing organisation to set it up and to have helped so many people. Um, it, I mean, really is outstanding. Um, I, 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 just, I want to finish with two different questions, if I can. Um, what I want to come on to ask you is um, what you would um, suggest our listeners think about if they were to challenge themselves. Three things about whether they're in the right job or doing the right thing. But before that, um, you clearly love what you do. So tell me what you'd like about it. What do you like about being a coach and being a leadership trainer? Yeah, I think I like that I can help people see the best in themselves um, and see how unique they are and how amazing it is to be unique and really leverage that uniqueness in ways that means that they can help others and help themselves. So, yeah, for me, it's that that being able to help someone just see how amazing they are. 
Um, I think the other thing I love about the work I do is that I'm constantly learning. So when people share their experience, their world with me, I get an insight into it. Um, and that means I know so much about so many people's lives, their experiences, their jobs, um, and that ability to keep learning um, through interaction with other people. I, I, I think I love that too. And maybe the last thing I love about it is the variety. Yeah, I, every day is different. I'm meeting new people all the time. Uh, there's so much I do, as you said, from one-to-one -one coaching to standing up in, in front of audiences of hundreds or thousands of people, uh, traveling to different places. Um, I write, I speak, uh, all different things. So I think the variety is amazing, sometimes overwhelming, <laughs> but mostly amazing. And then, then to finish, now trying to coach all the thousands and thousands of people who listen to you on this podcast, what would you suggest they think about in terms of their working life and their happiness at work? Yeah, I, th I think the important things to do are to just take one step at a time. Um, if you asked me when I started off in my career at 14 in the sweet shop, I would not expect to be doing what I'm doing now. Um, too often when we talk about career, what we we think that you've got to have this really clear path. I think it's about putting one foot in front of another and seeing where it takes you. I also think don't be afraid to take risks and experiment. Um, and you can do that through voluntary work or um, through uh, when you go on a holiday, trying something different or having a side hustle. Um, so I, I think work doesn't have to be linear. And I think try lots of things and talk to people about their career to understand uh, what they're doing and learn about new roles and, and what's coming up because so much is changing. But in terms of happiness, I think there should be moments of every day where you're, where you're doing something that you really love and you enjoy. I don't think it has to be 100% of the time. Uh, I'm often do, doing bits of my job that I don't love, but the, the bits that I love um, sort of make that worthwhile. So are there moments in your day that you love? And how can you expand those days and how can you uh, take the best enjoyment out of them? Um, and also, the more you talk about those parts, I think the more you attract more of that. So that would be my advice. That's wonderful advice, Jenny. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thank you so much for sharing your amazing journey to um, have done all you've done to taking your degree to the different jobs and to the amazing support you're giving to so many people. Uh, through rocking your teams, but also through all the work you do on coaching and leadership. It's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you on this podcast. Thanks so much. Appreciate it. To listen to more episodes and find out how to get happy in your working life, head to workall.co. Work happier.